Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out Outcry on Showtime, Little Voice on Apple TV Plus, and Quran on Netflix. Okay, how about we talk about good old American football? I think you're talking about Outcry on Showtime. Greg Kelly was in high school. He was a great football player, and he was staying with a family friend to maintain residence in the town where he played football. The house where he stayed also functioned as a daycare, and one of the boys there accused Greg of sexual assault. This documentary follows the not-so-open-and-shut case that polarized a town and led to Greg's conviction of 25 years without parole at just 18 years old. Beach, how did you feel about it? This is a pretty interesting story. When I first heard about this documentary series, it didn't really stand out to me as a case that I would want to learn more about. But I think once you start the documentary series and learn more about Greg and the people around him and the town of Leander, you really do get invested. What were your first impressions? It was really surprising. The term outcry as a legal term refers to the first admission by a victim that they were assaulted. And you think that the show is going to be about the assault, maybe about how it tore apart a town, but instead you get to know Greg and you see our justice or injustice system at work as we explore what led to his conviction and what led to him accepting a 25-year sentence without any chance of appeal. So how about we start talking about Greg? He is our main character in this documentary. It all happens during his senior year of high school. He's a football player. He's a popular kid in school. And he's in a situation where he has an unfortunate family life. His father had a stroke. His mother had a brain tumor. And he just didn't have the means to focus on school. So fortunately, the McCarty family, they were willing to take him in, give him a home, call food, phone, and help him get through his senior year so he can keep up with training, keep up with his grades, and reach his goal of getting a football scholarship because he knows his parents can't afford to support paying tuition. What did you think of his drive and motivation to play football and the relationships and support he developed in his community? Texas is a football state. They talk about this where they said that football is second to God and and or guns in the state and level of priority and what you believe in. And he went to a school known for its football program in a county known for its football program. And he was of the best, even in both of those huge ponds of players and talent. On top of that, he had this drive to want to go to college for free. I assume one for his own ambitions and two to support his family and his girlfriend, Gabri. And you can see how this town rallied behind him as the down-home all-American boy. He definitely comes across as just the nice, cool guy that everyone gets along with, everyone wants to be like, and people admire and look up to him. In contrast to that, everyone in the town was surprised by his conviction when it turns out at the home he's staying at, the McCarty family, the mother, Shama McCarty, runs a daycare, and one of the children, a four-year-old boy at the daycare, makes the outcry statement accusing Greg of sexually assaulting him. 
And so now everyone in the town, along with Greg, are trying to figure out where is this coming from? This is shaking up his entire life. And people are starting to question Greg's integrity. And maybe they're saying that this all-American football player persona is actually hiding some dark side to him. The case against Greg is weak. I thought that it would be them as a documentary series sort of dunking on accusers. And that isn't the case. It's always dangerous when you have this framing where we open up a world where we question every single time someone has the bravery of coming forward. And instead, it indicted the system that built the shoddy case and convicted Greg. And they even included victims' rights advocates in their interviews, which I thought was good. Though one of the advocates said that a reason that they suspected Greg was because he wasn't incredulous when he was accused, which confused me. I think what she was saying is, in her mind, if you get accused of such a heinous crime as assaulting a small child, you would have a very strong reaction. When I think what this person was overlooking is that some people are so stunned by shocking news like that, that they just don't know how to react. You just don't know how people react to things. It's like when people study 911 calls. It's just, that's not where the science is of building your case. You can come across as calm, but on the inside, you're still freaking out like anyone else. I think what's going to be the interesting driving force through the rest of this documentary is that we meet a new person, Jake Bryden, who's offering to help Greg's family continue investigating this after the conviction. So we'll see what's going to be discovered and what might change the validity of the conviction. I would also say, listeners, if you're not looking for spoilers, I guess you would say, even though it's someone's life, I would suggest not Googling the case because there has been a lot of movement since the conclusion of the show. It sounds like we should head into our rating. Beach, what would you rate Showtime's Outcry? I would rate it would watch again seriously. This is only a five-part documentary, and I think it's actually worth the time investment. Uh, One-hour episodes, and I think the way they're presenting the case is compelling, and I think they are giving a fair amount of attention to both sides of the case. Obviously, it is centering around Greg's perspective, and you see more about people pleading for his innocence, but I think it really does show how do towns, how do investigations for these type of cases proceed, and what can be improved in the future for situations like this. How do you feel? The show does center around Greg's story, but it also centers around the fact that, like BJ said, the investigation just should have been conducted better. This all should have been done better. And it is a disservice to victims when these cases aren't conducted better. So it's not, woe is this person who was accused of this heinous crime, but also, woe is the victim who hasn't had their assailant brought to any sort of justice, however you define justice. Switching gears from Outcry, BJ snuck in another musical, and we watched Apple TV's Little Voice. BJ, what happened in this one? It is a rom-com drama. Mm-hmm. Me Too loves rom-coms. I do. And dramas. But once you throw in one song, she's over it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and tell us what happened in between the songs on this show. 
Little Voice is a new series on Apple TV Plus, and the whole idea is they want to explore the journey of finding your authentic voice while you're in your 20s. And this is described through a romantic journey for our main character, Bess Alice King, played by Brittany O'Grady. And we meet her down and out as she is trying to write songs that she's not comfortable sharing to the world. So right now they're acting as a private diary, but she has dreams of doing more. And along the way, she's also coping with having to take care of her younger brother, Louis King, played by Kevin Valdez. She has her supportive roommate, Prisha, played by Shalini Bathina. And she meets a new friend while she is writing and singing her songs privately named Ethan, played by Sean Teal. So throughout this series, we're really going to see, will she be able to work up the courage to share the music in her heart? Me too. What were your first impressions of Bess and her journey and songs? Bess, to me, feels like the quintessential New York story of trying to get discovered. She's a dog walker. She sings at nursing homes. She gives music lessons. She has this tiny storage unit that she turned into a studio to record music. She has all of these different hustles. She's a bartender at night at a place that does open mics. And so you really feel that hustle spirit in her. And she has that quintessential big apartment with her best friend, Prisha, which is also very New York trying to make it television show. I liked Bess and I thought that she was telling a quintessential hungry artist story. I think Bess is very likable as well. She does fall into some of those tropes, such as having the really nice apartment, especially when she is supposedly struggling financially. And they really emphasize music in New York. It is true if you walk around the streets of New York, you will see people singing and performing. But that is all Bess ever comes across when she's walking around. Even when she goes down into the subway, she joins this quartet. And it turns out one of the people in the quartet singing is her father, Percy, played by Chuck Cooper. It's fun to find out that music is really a family thing. We also know that her brother, Louie, loves musicals and singing with his sister. So it's just like something she's been raised on. But unfortunately, despite her love for music, she had a traumatic event, which I believe was the Grand Humiliation, where she tried to perform one of her original songs and she got a very negative reception from the audience. And that's traumatized her to the point where she only performs covers now. What do you think of her fighting this stage fright? I am in the same camp as her dad, Percy. In the episode, she finds the courage to go on stage again. It doesn't go well again, but at least she got up there. She talked to her dad about it and was clearly humiliated again. And he told her that his favorite part of the story was the fact that she had the bravery to get up. When you are wanting to share your own songs and stories and be a performer Unfortunately, if you have this sort of stage fright, you have to break through it. It's going to be difficult for her to overcome something as humiliating as the grand humiliation. And I would argue another humiliation, maybe not quite as grand in this episode, but she has to break through. And one thing that will be cool as the show progresses is seeing her hopefully gain her confidence to break through. It is true that if you're performing your own music and it seems like everything that she's creating is very personal to her, that if people make 
make fun of it, then I can imagine how much more painful it is because it is like they are attacking the core of you. She sees it as a personal attack if people don't like her music when really they don't know her and they're not criticizing her personality, her thoughts, her feelings. The song just might not resonate with them. So going on from that, this wouldn't be a rom-com without hints of romance. And we get that pretty early in this episode because at Bess's recording studio storage unit, she has a new neighbor who is doing a video documentary, Ethan. What did you think of their initial encounter? It seemed very flirty. In their initial encounter, that's when you get the hint that she's very personal about her stuff. He has the storage unit rented next door and he walks into where she is writing and singing a song and he stops and tells her, you know, this sounds great. And she snaps at him and she yells at him to leave and tells him that he shouldn't be there, even though she is in a wide open storage unit that really anyone could wander into, which has its own safety implications that I was concerned about for both of them. Later, once she overcomes that initial shock of accidentally burying herself to a stranger through her music, they do have a very flirty encounter and they are building a very strong chemistry with each other. And he even shows up to her bar. And he seems to want to develop a relationship with her. He's interested in her music. He's supportive of her performing. So we'll see if Bess is receptive to his offers. To his English charms. Yes, he has an English accent, which can win people over. Yes. So me too, what would you rate Little Voice on Apple TV Plus? Even though BJ snuck in another musical, we should have mentioned that this is from the mind, heart, and voice of Sarah Bareilles as well. I would say that it's very charming, and I would probably somewhere between would watch again casually and would watch while doing Sunday emails or laundry. It'll be a nice show to have on in the background. I have to admit that her voice is nice too, so it is just soothing to listen to. How painful was that to admit that you liked some of the music? You know how I feel about musicals, so let's move forward. Beach, what would you rate it? I would rate this Would Watch Again casually. I had a lot of fun with this series. I think it's lighthearted and just a fun, easygoing journey to watch Bess. She's relatable, likable. I like her friends. And I want to see how she's going to grow and develop to be a stronger artist and performer. Bess in the big city. Speaking of the big city, let's move from that to a small town in northern Italy called Caron. Wow, my favorite place. Tell me more. So we meet Anna, who fled Quran 17 years ago while pregnant with twins after her mother Lily's tragic death. The adult Anna, played by Valeria Briello, returns in present time with her twin teens, Daria, played by Margarita Morchio, and Mauro, played by Federico Russo, and her own father Thomas, played by Luca Leonello, tells her that they aren't safe there and should return to Milan immediately. In this first episode, we focus in on the teens as they adjust to this new town, their high school, their high school crushes, and the mysterious waters of Lake Resia. They also have to deal with the fact that their mother has vanished. Beach, you, in addition to sneaking in a musical this week, snuck in a horror show. Supernatural drama. Fellow babies, listeners who cannot handle scary things. This was a scary one. They just had scenes at night. Anyway, my first impressions of this Italian supernatural drama. 
Mm-hmm. I think it had a really strong start. Anna has been having nightmares. So we see some of these nightmares where it's a younger Anna seeing her mother get shot by some mysterious person and she keeps waking up and she's very paranoid. And then she's bringing her children back to her hometown under these mysterious circumstances. She's very restrictive, taking their phones away, cutting off communication with their father. Even Anna's own father, Thomas, is questioning her return and doesn't want her there. So I think they set up the mystery really well that Anna doesn't belong in this town and something bad is going to happen because she returned. At one point, when she's driving into the town, her son loses his drone in the lake. And there has to be something mysterious about the lake. Her father, Thomas, told Maro to just let the drone go. The lake has it. Just move on. Yeah, don't go near the bell tower. And Maro instead goes to rent a boat with his sister, Daria. And the boat renter at the lake says we don't rent to Reina family members. Which is crazy because we find out that the Reina family owns this apparently special hotel that famous people have stayed at, but they have a bad reputation. I can imagine. Thomas is a very surly man. You don't think he has good customer service? No, he doesn't (laughs) want his family there. Maybe it's for reasons to protect them. In the dreams that Anna has, Thomas is sometimes involved and he is protecting her. So I wonder if there is some sort of force that he wants to protect his family from, which is why he's trying to push them away for their own safety. It definitely seems like he doesn't want them there because he fears something will happen, not because he doesn't want to see his daughter and grandchildren. I thought this show, based on the beginning, was going to center around Anna because I had not read the premise of the show, which is just that Anna disappears and the twins have to figure out what happened to her, where did she go, how do we get her back? So instead, the show actually really zeroes in on Mauro and Daria and we see them interact with a new school, new bullies, honestly, classic YA tropes. They are twins and the new kids in town, 17 years old. They realize that their family has a bad reputation and that people know who they are. And they don't seem that interested in joining the student community because they want to go back to Milan. After they started making fun of her twin brother, Daria stood up in class and said, I'm Daria and I don't remember any of your names. They don't intend to be there long. They don't like those people. She called them hillbillies later on. She is just sharing her truth whenever she gets the chance. And protecting her brother. If I saw people bully my brother all day, I also might feel compelled to lash back out. Can we stop and pause? I really like their sibling relationship. In the beginning, I thought Daria was going to be annoying because she was picking on Mauro. But later on, we see that they really do have a good, strong bond. It reminds me of my relationship with you. You pick on me a lot, but I don't think you would let a random person pick on me. Correct. And that is exactly how she treats her brother. I'm the one who picks on you and leaves you alone in the dark. Yes. That's not a healthy relationship. No, it's not. I'm just drawing some needed references, maybe for you to look inward. I'm not sure what you'll do with that information, but it's on the table. So let's get back into it. You liked their bond. Yes. There were a lot of moments when they were a team, and I think that's going to be important going forward. They also both touch the lake water. I wonder what that means for them, too. They may be hinting they have some sort of twin connection because they actually fall into the water at the same time. 
And there's something to that water. If Thomas doesn't want them near it, if the boat renter doesn't want them near it, and you're never supposed to go near the bell tower in the middle of the water, which is the cover image for the show. So it has to be something funky in the waters. And just in this town, they have regular blackouts that no one is phased by. There are candles and crosses everywhere. And Maro is hearing things in the hotel. And his grandfather tries to play it off saying, it's just my pacemaker. I wonder what that is too. We also learn in the show that Maro is hearing impaired. So I wonder if he is hearing generally or if it's channeling into him. Ooh, so kind of like a telepathic message. Almost like that, yes. So what are your predictions? The premise is that their mother, Anna, will disappear. You get a little bit of insight in the end of the episode and a pretty exciting scene. How do you think the twins and the grandfather, Thomas, are going to handle this? I have no idea what will happen, which is what makes the show so intriguing. It really does not feel predictable. The only thing I see coming, which I am excited for, is because Anna is missing, for sure, Thomas will have to overcome his fear of involving his family, and he'll have to bond with his grandkids, and they'll have to team up and figure out what happened to Anna and where she went in order to recover her. With the wolf? Y'all, he's domesticating a wild wolf. The only, I don't even know if it's a prediction, but outlook that I'm looking forward to is how they will bond with each other and get to know each other. I actually predict that they will be at odds with each other. Thomas is going to want the twins to go back to Milan with their father. He wants them to leave now. And I think even after Anna goes missing, he's going to be even more pressuring for them to leave so he can handle things on his own. I think maybe where you and I disagree is he's going to kick and scream, but eventually they're all going to have to team up because that's their mom. Or they all go missing. What an ending that would be. Just Just (laughs) in the last episode, you just no longer see people like Limetown. Okay, me too. What would you rate this supernatural drama Quran on Netflix? I would watch more episodes. My only caveat is I watched this episode at 9 a.m., super bright outside. I had a cup of tea. I think there's a very specific way in which I'll have to watch it. I can't watch it at night. I couldn't binge it, but I am really compelled by it and I want to see more, but I'll just have to do it, you know, bright day with my Snuggie, cup of relaxing tea, just something to make sure that I am as comfortable as possible while scary things are happening. Because there are creepy crawlies in this one. I appreciate your commitment to watching this. I know it's going to take effort on your part. It will. It won't take as much effort for me to watch this casually. There were some creepy moments, but I'm prepared for more. And I'm intrigued by this mystery. I want to know where Anna is. And I want to know, will Daria and Maro get hurt on their search for their mom? We'll see. If you want to find more mysteries, more exciting shows, more voices and... I think we've even done some other true crime stories. Head to our website, thepilotpodcast.com to find all of our reviews. And if you want something a little more in-depth, consider subscribing to The Pilot Podcast Deep Dive, where we focus on a single show per episode by going to join.thepilotpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, Quran theories, ask for BJ to record Italian words and send you voice recordings because BJ speaks a little Italian to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. 
Thanks for listening. Bye. No, say ciao. No. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. No.